0: Hey what's up y'all uh, It is Tuesday, September 8th or 9th That doesn't matter I'm your host T-Bob bear This is the Hold That Podcast Podcast brought to you by The Athletic I'm joined as I am every week by My co-host Brody Miller who writes for The Athletic and before I welcome in Brody how about this you've been maybe thinking about joining up with The Athletic I tell you every week I love it here we got a new deal for you okay athletic.com slash hold that podcast $1 a month that's right it's going up on a Tuesday a few hours later this kick deal will kick in so look for a Tuesday night Wednesday morning $1 a month and you get access to to the best sports site on the internet there is literally no excuse now I would pay one dollar one just to take ads off of my internet feed right and, and that's essentially what you would be doing so athletic.com slash hold that podcast Brody Miller what's up dude
1: well first off I love that ad that was fantastic I'm hyped now second I'm good because there was football this weekend I had a I had a nice little labor day I I, I painted the Painted the cabinets in the shed, you know, doing some projects around the house. Came in, showered, had a few beers, and had like an actual primetime football game to watch. So that felt great. Did you watch it though?
0: Um well, first off, you answered your good. Aren't you supposed to say well? I mean, I'm not a writer, so who you know, who am I to say such things? Also, uh in terms of, did I watch football? It's a made-up language. Um, that's fair. Uh, I'm actually reading Sapiens right now, and I'm quickly realizing <laughs> oh. that, like, literally everything surrounding us is all just made-up fiction. That's kind of how the, I,
1: I live my life, yeah. Yeah, Like, there's all these the, rules in, in journalism, yeah, and it's like, it's made-up. We made-up these rules. We can change them.
0: It's fair. Fiction is a sinew of all of humanity, uh, but, but we can get to that later when we talk Crusader Kings 3. Uh, no, look, with the games this weekend... Um, I I dropped into a couple few minutes here or there watched a few live football plays uh, but I find myself with playoff basketball on the television and uh, given the fact that like in a vacuum I really wouldn't have watched any of these games either more than I did this year Um, no the the, the matchups were not big enough to drag me back to the screen for like oh the football game's on I have to watch it Uh, they have not gotten me like that yet
1: See, that's funny because maybe this is just like the part of me that maybe it's just because I'm more – maybe I'm more of a football guy than you. You start there. That's very possible. I think I am. Um, (laughs) Two, this also might be the gambler in me where like, yeah, even before all this, I spent a good amount of my Saturdays when I had time or especially some Thursdays and Fridays, you know, watching and maybe wagering on a lot of, you know, niche football yeah so i guess i'm already a little biased there but i don't know man it was just like even byu navy that's not even that small of a game like i understand skipping southern miss south alabama which honestly i thought was really fun to watch but like that's it's prime time football it's football on my tv like i don't need it to be clemson versus georgia or something for it to be worth watching like i want to watch a guard pull right now i want to watch like a quarterback make a terrible decision. I, that's what I'm here for, and it felt very, very good. So I, I, I can't disagree with you more. And, and I know we want to. Like, I was really worried about how football would look without fans, and obviously it's different. Like, obviously, you're better with fans. I'm not that guy who's like. Should we keep it this way? But I'm just saying, I was really scared it was going to be really bad, and I actually don't feel like it has been that bad. Because, one, it's like soccer with the camera angle, the way it's just done, Like you're just not inherently going to notice there aren't fans there. And, yes, the sound's different, but like that's how it is for everything, and I'm just going to have to get used to it. But I actually feel like it's still a pretty watchable and not too frustrating product. So, I mean, granted, I'm granted, I'm excited for bigger games this weekend, but overall, a win for me.
0: Uh, So, <laughs> I would say... Hmm, okay, I'll start with the no fans thing because to me, uh, it's. I guess what's odd is as a spectator, the no fans thing isn't ever translating to me in a very direct way with any of these sports that I'm watching. Like, uh, I think the NBA has done a spectacular job with their arena and the sound design and everything else that they've done. To kind of mask no fans thing, I think soccer did a good job. I think baseball struggles a bit more because you see a lot of those empty seats. I think Definitely. hockey struggles a little more because you see a lot of those empty seats as well. Uh, but but in all honesty, like the games have been just games, and the games have been quality. If you're talking about the NBA and NHL, and and, and if you're a baseball fan, the MLB. And so really, like that's what I fall back to. I do think though. I still think that there is... Like, okay, so interestingly, the impact of no fans as we just are working through this, in my opinion, is less about stuff that we as the viewer notice or care about. And I do think, though, that it is testing these teams in ways that they haven't been tested before and that some teams are better suited to handling it than others, or at least they're proving they're over to, right? I mean, I think that energy... And the ability to feed off of that energy, I I think those are very real things, and and I think that a a leader, or a coach, is ability to get his group to create that false energy and hype them up without a hundred thousand people, because uh, you can kind of feel that pressure when you're in a locker room pregame. I can't really imagine what it would feel like uh, going into an empty stadium. You know, going down to Tiger Walk with like a couple hundred people there, or you know, nobody there, like like it's going to yeah. be this year. And, and so, to me, that's the bigger impact. It's not what we're seeing. It's what these teams are going through, and we're going to see some teams handle it better than others. And, and I can't even say that this is like – I guess what, what got me thinking about all this is I was listening to one of the uh, Levitar like local hours. where They are talking to Stan Van Gundy, right? And Stan Van Gundy was describing what it was like walking into that arena in Orlando in the bubble. And on TV I never got any of this. Because I think the product's been great. I think the play's been hard. I think the games have been good. But he was telling me how normally in the playoffs, you know, there is just a, there is an electricity that you can touch mm. that is almost palpable, and that going into these games that it's not just dead, it's deader than anything he's ever been a part of. Like he 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 said it was more dead than like the summer league games where the execs are at looking for the next guys, which even then it makes a little sense. There's like a little juice around those. Uh, so, so these teams that can handle that, because I, I have to imagine it's going to be a similar feeling when you walk into tiger stadium and there is no tiger walk and you're not hearing the crowd kind of stomping above you. Um, we always talk about coach Joe being a, an energy creator. He is going to be tested this year in ways that he never has. So fans or no fans for me as a viewer, um, um, I still love them, but but it's it's, it's kind of, from my viewing experience, going on to be wholly irrelevant. Uh, I do think it's still tough on the players, though, and we'll see how they handle that. And then as far as the football thing goes, I mean, yes, football looked like it was in peril at at some points this year, but that, uh, unfortunately, it just turns out, did not make me more interested to watch Navy send a pulling guard down the line and then get, like, Fucked on fifty-two zero or whatever that score ended up being. Uh, I'm no, waiting. I mean I'm waiting for the big boys, Brody. In two nights, think about this NFL Week One. In two nights, we get Pat Mahomes versus Deshaun Watson. Undeniable top five guys who are here at the very beginning of their careers. Their legends are just being written. And then on Sunday afternoon, you get the old salty vets. You get Caesar versus Pompey. You get Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, the all-time leaders in pass yards and touchdowns going head-to-head. That's the football that I am all in on. That's the football that has my blood boiling over. I'm counting the minutes until we get to that NFL Thursday night.
1: Yeah, well, wow, went a lot of places there. I mean, yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. That is really, really interesting, the Sam Van Gundy thing, because I, I completely buy that, but I've, like, kind of tried to, like, you know, just – you know say no to that and be like that no and just like push that away as far as I could so I didn't have to like think about that because I just wanted to enjoy it and I I just wanted this all to feel like the real playoffs and I didn't want to look back on this in 10 years and feel like you know I don't know let's say LeBron wins it to like look like this was LeBron's fake title you know I just really See, I never I wanted that to be well, possible and I want to talk about that because I, I know it's not what you're saying well, I know no, no, I know saying. I
0: know but I don't even but, but, but that is a discussion I've seen a lot right is there an asterisk this or that uh, absolutely it's different just acknowledge that truth but then also acknowledge the truth that it's not necessarily easier to win right like just because no. you win this championship I mean easier it, in a lot of ways is harder you just made it out of uh, a it's just an unprecedented situation like we always talk about so yeah I know no, still absolutely. still be a big win
1: no absolutely yeah, and I know that's not what you meant but yeah it's just like all i 'm saying is i've tried to push that away as hard as I can and not really faced that part of it and I think there is a lot of truth to that and I one hundred percent I almost think basketball is probably even more than football just because the close proximity and like how fans like literally impact a game and like can change momentum. But but yeah, 100% football, it's going to be real, especially in college football, even more than the NFL. So that is a bummer and a thing that I've kind of tried not to tell myself. So you're right. Like, I think the product's still good. I still enjoy watching it. But that is going to be a little change in context. But it is also, like you said, I'm just piggybacking everything you're saying. Gonna be really interesting to see who gets the most out of players for that. You know, is that Ogeron somebody who's you know because he's such a good energy guy, gonna get more out of his players and some other coaches, or is he a guy that like really needs the crowd yeah. to like play into his whole character? Because that's also possible. Yep. I mean, so that is fascinating. So yeah, you really made me think on he's that. Got to bang
0: that I, drum, dude. He's got to have that drum ready to go. <laughs> Red Bulls on deck. You got to figure <laughs> out a way to get your team fired up.
1: And. And yeah, I mean I'm not gonna sit here and pretend I'm like locked into Arkansas State and Memphis. I'm not gonna lie to you. There is like a certain like reduction in just true locked inness, and there even would be for me on a normal season of when there's other games, I'd still like be kind of more excited for a, a a solid group of five game than I was. I just I think there is something to we're all adapting a little bit to life without sports, so like our the the rhythms of it are kind of just fading a little bit, and I'm sure they'll come back. Like I'm not being negative, Nancy here. It's just that is interesting because as much as I was excited to sit down and watch BYU Navy, there is a slight difference in how I go about See, it. I, but the real, the real the real test will be NFL
0: because we have so many sports now. I'm like I can't justify watching these college games. because I'm actually more interested in the NBA games.
1: No, no, that's true too. I think that's true. I'm just saying. For example, I didn't watch a second of Celtics Raptors last night. And wow. by the way, I it was a blowout, so I don't think I'm going to beat myself up there, no. but like well, I didn't I didn't watch either NBA game last night. I watched the BYU Navy like I said. But again, wasn't So you are in. more of a football guy than me. I, I think that's actually you know what it is? I think it does
0: all go back to gambling. It's always the degenerate gamblers are the one who have fun watching these games cuz even when they all are blowouts or all are or even when they are like bullshit Y'all always have some sort of degenerate angle that you're cheering for, so you have that tension that is absent for a lot of us.
1: I guess I got to be careful how much I go on here because you know I don't want my bosses to to fire me. But yeah, I mean (laughs) I'm just gonna say there there might be something to that. But let's not pretend that that isn't also involved in the NBA game. So I don't know, but yeah, no, No. that's not me saying. I'm not even saying that to say I'm more of a football guy. I'm saying it to say like. I'm actually – I wasn't crazy into the BYU game and I wasn't crazy and I didn't really watch the NBA last night even though I'm – you know, NBA is actually like probably one of my favorite things. So I I wonder if I'm getting more – this is a terrible thing to say on a show where I hope people care deeply about sports. But, like, I wonder if I'm actually just getting, like, 5 to 10% more apathetic about about sports. But, again, I really think I'll have a better answer for that. September 26th when the SEC is back or this Sunday when there's a full NFL slate. I think that's where I'll really get an answer.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're going to be locked in this Sunday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, obviously, um, why would you care about the NBA anymore? Uh, the Sixers have completely All right, moving on, moving blown on. up and disintegrated. And people will look back and look at this as one of the most disastrous <laughs> uh, you know, front office arcs that we've ever seen. We're moving
1: on. History. We're moving on.
0: Uh, we are moving on because LSU had a scrimmage, Brody. One thing that I was laughing about is uh, following that Navy game, the coach was... Lamenting the fact that they didn't hit, right? That they did yeah, uh, that's really that, that they that they only used like practice dummies and stuff like that. Um, I am still someone who like, okay, I, I think the importance of that is going to be overplayed a bit. I think Navy's probably just bad. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong, because that said I asked Coach O about it this morning and he was very clear that no, they're hitting. You have to get hit. Uh, in order to get ready to play football and it looks like lsg was hitting was it friday or saturday when they scrimmaged friday friday so
1: they were hitting yeah them. no I, yes they were hitting and they've been hitting most of camp really i mean obviously well the week they didn't have an o-line maybe a little less <laughs> but they are absolutely hitting and that is i i mean i'm with you i don't think like we should pretend that that's why navy lost but I think that's why they lost by 50. You know, I I do think that's like a real thing roll. We they were really getting cured. their ass blown up physically too. Oh, and Navy's a really physical football team, so I think it definitely has to factor in. And I want to give credit to BYU. I mean, BYU is a program that's been looking really good. Jeff Grimes, the former LSU O-line coach is a really like rising OC right now. So, anyway, BYU looks pretty good, but that was a real thing that just like you saw that BYU was so much more physical, and I really do think that made a difference in how big of a difference this game was. And LSU, like I want to be clear, I think all the SECs tackling like I don't make LSU's not like look good for LSU, but they are hitting and they are going full throttle. And it I bring this to almost connected to the LSU practice schedule thing, which you and I have been really fascinated by for the last year and a half, and it's something that Ed Ogeron and the the medical staff and the training staff really on top of was. They're big believers in shorter practice, higher tempo. They, they, they actually attribute that to why they won the national yeah. title to some small extent. Like they, their whole thing is your body adapts to the stimuli you train it for. That's a real thing Jack Marucci preaches and Tommy Moffat preaches that if you train the body for a three and a half hour, you know, long grueling practice where you're kinda going slow and you're tack- you know you're doing a lot of different stuff, but you're not really going like high intensity. Your body gets trained for that. That's the stimuli it responds to. And LSU about when Ogeron took over in twenty seventeen changed the way of practice. And now they do much, much shorter practice, some days less practices overall. And like I saw earlier, but they go full speed at practice. They hit hard. They go a lot of best on best. I think more than a lot of Power 5 teams, and they really believe in that, and they believe that stimuli leads to them being stronger in a football game, being fresher too. It's a mix. It goes both ways. So I think it's really interesting that now you're seeing that – almost like times two with what's going on. And I wonder, and this is me just talking my ass as a fake doctor, you know, Dr. Brody. But I wonder if them not practicing tackling, you know, your body responds to the stimuli, you know, you give to it. And maybe they just weren't used to tackling, and that's, like, pretty real.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, it's definitely an element. And it's. Uh, I guess what's also funny to me is it's just a, it's just an interesting kind of case study in leadership and this coach, you know, trying to be very forward-thinking and then maybe learning that he was being a little too forward-thinking. Uh, but then again, you know, Princeton does this, and I want to say that they've done a good job in football, but whatever. We're getting distracted. What were your big takeaways from uh, the LSU scrimmage? Like, what what did we learn on the other side? I saw some sexy pictures of a Gilbert catching touchdowns.
1: By the way, man, I, we really got really to nail down the first name thing because you told me it was a reek after talking to some people, and then, and then like in the last few weeks I've talked to some people who said, like, it is Eric, and then The Advocate even had a feature, like a little story on, on Gilbert last week about how they're going to use him, and they even put in parentheses, pronounced Eric. So, like, Shit. we really got to nail this Has down. he because... said anything yet? <clears throat> well, no, we can't talk to freshmen. Why well, I didn't
0: know if, like, on the recruiting trail uh, he had ever yeah. said anything somewhere along the line.
1: No, wait, 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 real quick. I am pulling up the LSU thing where they give pronunciations. I don't know if you could hear that, but it is, okay, wow, well, I just, you know, on the LSU page, there's the thing where you click and Chris Blair tells you how it's pronounced. It's Eric. Ah. Big news. I mean, um, I was using so, Eric for months. Who got me on the Arik train? I know it's it's you know it's a big story. And we'll, well, I think that's the story. It isn't about Gilbert. It's about the name. I just
0: figured uh, if you spelled it A <laughs> R I K, you were looking for a little flourish in the pronunciation. But I guess not. Yeah, that's fine. No. no. Yeah. Anyway, wild times.
1: That's um. Sad. Anyway, yeah. Eric I think Gilbert that is catching
0: a couple touchdowns. How about I?
1: I was gonna say I think that's like the biggest takeaway, and there's a lot of takeaways, but the biggest takeaway from the scrimmage has been. Like, Eric Gilbert is—we've known this from the first three weeks of practice. Like, it has been clear, but it's becoming just, like, full throttle, 100%. Like, Eric Gilbert is better than advertising. He was already—I mean, I've never heard of a tight end coming into college. Like, I really can't think of any where, like, they can't—maybe O.J. Howard comes to mind where it's like, this guy's supposed to be, like, day one a star. And I really think—I've never really heard of anyone talk about Eric Gilbert like they have— and then in practice, you know, it's like he hasn't dropped the ball practice. He's destroying the linebackers and safeties. He's doing all these things. He's already, like, he's a freak. And now to see him, he caught two touchdowns in the scrimmage. One of them looked like a pretty long one where he broke some tackles. I mean, it really seems like I'm, like, ready to say I actually think Eric Gilbert's going to be LSU's, like, number two receiver in terms of overall production this year. I actually, from what I've heard, like, that's a big part of the Scott Linehan's role this year. Is, as an NFL guy who's worked with a lot of really good tight ends in his career he really has a lot of experience of he did it with calvin johnson of moving guys around to get them the mismatches to take away the double teams to really you know get the most out of a guy who can be a mismatch item like gilbert so i think that's like a huge part of their offense this year is putting him in good situations and now with chase gone i think like Terrace marshall will be the number one i believe that but i think gilbert is going to be the number two and i think he's going to be like all sec good
0: yeah i i I have nothing (laughs) to add um Except that it's crazy that I'm kind of at the same spot with you where the hype was already so high, like expectations were, and then all this camp has done is heighten expectations even further. So continue to be hyping, Eric Gilbert. Uh, One of my other big takeaways, Brody, maybe if something that would be maybe a bit more negative, uh, would be that Joseph Evans switched back to the defensive side of the ball. And then we talked to O today, and um, they said that Joseph Evans is – Basically, like, he basically went into, like, three starters for those interior two positions, right? And put Joseph Evans uh, in that list, which means that if not a starter, he's going to be a heavy rotational player, right? And first off, congrats to Joseph Evans because it's incredibly frustrating as a player to bounce around like that. You know, you desperately want playing time. You're willing to do whatever the team (laughs) needs you to, but it's hard to develop at a position when you're kind of jumping back and forth. Now, it's not all negative. Like, you can learn. Like, he learned things while playing O-line that he can definitely carry forward and vice versa. And so the, so there are positives to it, but it also does kind of set back your development. So I guess why I think it's maybe more negative, are you at all worried about the fact that he switches back over to D-line and then is immediately in line to play? It shows me kind of how light they've gotten at that interior position group.
1: I see what you're saying. I don't think I'm taking it that way because, I mean, we already knew once Shelvin and Farrell were out, the line depth was going to be tricky. Like, we yeah, knew that. True. But Evans is a guy who, for whatever reason, and we've literally never seen him play, really, if we're being honest. <clears throat> I mean, they have been really, really high on for about nine months now. But the funny thing is they just know they like him, but they can't figure out where to use him. And, and just for context for our listeners who haven't followed the training camp minutiae, I mean, Joseph Evans came in as a three-star defensive lineman, not even a big deal, but they liked him. <laughs> then, basically, before spring even started, they moved him to to center this this offseason because they had no center depth, and he was going to kind of compete to maybe even be one of the centers. Then they bring in Shanahan, and the plan is for him now to like, truly be the backup center or at least learn to be the center of next year. Then they have just tons of depth issues on the offensive line. So then they, I mean, not long-term, but then they moved him to offensive guard a few weeks ago. And now, while pretty much cross-training center and guard, he's getting moved back to defensive line. This is all in the span of about seven months. So yeah. that is a lot to ask. So, <laughs> but But I say all this to say they've also been talking about it so much and moving him so much because he's a guy they just really like. Smart kid, first off, start there. Really good athlete. Like, we liked him as a center because he kind of reminds me of Lloyd Cushenberry just in terms of, like, build. He's got that, like, tall and long but slim but kind of tight, you know, body build, if it makes any sense. So they just, yeah. (laughs) But they like him. So I think them moving him is like, hey, we like him and we need depth. We're putting him there. So I don't think, like, him being high up is the red flag. Okay, But, yes, it is a red flag. I think, if anything, you could spin it as a good in the sense that now you have a third guy you're kind of okay with. So, yeah, him, you him, really him being
0: <laughs> there isn't a red flag. It was just
1: always a red flag situation to begin with after the departure. Yes. I think, yeah, that's a better way to put it because they love Jaquale and Roy and Jacoby and Guillory. They love those guys. But you really, I mean, I don't care how good anyone is. You do not want to have to truly depend on true freshman on the D-line year one to be like, key rotation co-starter type player. so when you look at it from that perspective i think it's almost like a a semi-win but also a big loss for the o and then we can parlay that into our next thing which is another takeaway from the scrimmage for me was the defensive line clearly won the battle they had a lot of sacks a lot of pressure they really won that now it's a scrimmage and you never want to make too much of any of that cuz it's fake sacks and all these things but we always knew the offensive line was going to be in a tricky spot. It doesn't have much depth. There's no no continuity. We like all five starters, but still it's just a weird spot. that We're going to have to really get game reps to really learn about and to see that the, you know, like we like understandably so the D-line really dominated, got a lot of pressure. You can look at that as a positive for this new 4-3 and the pass rush which really has been underwhelming for about 2 years now. But I also think you have to look at it as the O line is probably going to be tricky earlier in the season. I think I think it will be.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think um, practice acts are weird. Uh, but I did think they a lot clear. of what you just laid out was echoed in Ogeron's sentiments when I asked about the O line. Um, I asked about Liam specifically, right, and he did say that he felt that Liam has kind of asserted himself as a starter. Didn't go like 100%, so but basically said he was. Uh, but then he did, the, you know, there was just that little bit of hesitance in his voice where he was like, uh, but, you know, we gave up too many sacks. Uh, some of the calls were misidentifying the blitz. So, like, there is work to do. But, but, but uh, on the flip side, it's the old Phil mantra, you know, it's never as bad as you think it is, never as good as you think it is. I do not know why. But in practice, more sacks just happen than in a game. I don't know if it's quarterbacks just trying out new things, players not being as locked in. Like, I cannot explain it for the life of me, but every level of football that I've ever played on, there's just always been more sacks in practice than during the game. I mean, even last year, (laughs) I remember seeing some similar, like the one scrimmage that I went to going into last season, I thought like, man, the defensive line's kind of kicking ass right now. They're back there every time. So...
1: Um, no, I think that's 100%. Something, sure, something so, to watch,
0: point. though. Definitely something to watch. Still a very much a cause for concern, and as you say, consistently throughout the offseason. Uh, although they've done a good job like finding a guy like Liam and plugging him in there and all this stuff, and they're telling us how great Dare is, uh, that is the group that has the potential to either make or break, I think, this LSU team. Um, if if we're talking about other players that have that are new to LSU— that have the potential to break out. How do you like this for an answer? I want more Cox and Booty.
1: Nice. Yeah, you like that. Get it. Get um it. get it. It's a, Yeah, uh, no, uh, Booty,
0: Terrell Cox. I feel Coy like Moore yes. and Keyshawn Booty all <laughs> in the uh all in the headlines.
1: No, well done. Uh yeah, I mean I think Keyshawn Booty has been which also if we're going to play the uh the Annunciation game i think all of us said booty because like that just feels more accurate to louisiana for this whole year and now i've learned it is booty and I oh i can say booty night. now so- oh
0: that's perfect dude that works so well with my jokes then more cox and booty yeah, yeah no yeah. no it's a win Let's for you go. that's a
1: win um yeah garland gillen our friend at fox eight who's covered him all through high school has said it is booty so anyway that's big to learn <laughs> but i guess i should check the lsu sports page we've learned but yeah, he. I think every week there's been like a different winner, right? I think last week like the winner of camp was probably Jabril Cox. Like the first week, the winner of camp was probably Eric Gilbert. But I think this week the winner of camp is probably Keyshawn Booty. I mean, and I or at least I should say of last week. Uh, and I think it's because, I mean, first off, Jamar Chase leaves. So you already knew he was one of the two main three main candidates to step into a bigger role, yeah, but I mean, I, I think we talked about it a little on last week's show. I had heard that like the first Monday the chase was gone booty looked like a stud then the next day LSU was posting videos of him making a pretty I mean if you haven't watched it it's actually a pretty fantastic catch um, one of the LSU videos they tweeted out last Tuesday or something of him making a ridiculous kind of downfield over Elias Rick's catch that was really impressive I've heard he really just like went up a notch once Chase left he's obviously a five star talent so you always expected him to be in the mix but it seems like he's really I mean and I know John flat out said today you know I think he might have said on your show but he definitely said in his press conference today that I mean he is the starter now he's the third starter that is pretty much the plans so i mean that he's i think the big winner this week and he's obviously a big talent Moore they really love and he was he might have been the big winner of the first week of camp actually and he's had a hamstring issue right now and he's kind of been out for it's, it's been about a week now i believe so you always have to keep an eye on that but i guess he's probably the number four but booty is probably the big winner
0: Yes, yes, I believe I, I, I believe that uh, Moore is number four and hyping up. And then, yeah, I, I just love that story about...
1: Uh, wait, booty number three, mo- more number four? Uh, wait, what
0: I say? Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. There you go. <laughs> but uh, it, it goes back to what we talked about last week, right? Like, with a departure like Chase, uh, it obviously impacts you very badly in a lot of ways. But it also, if you're a player, it introduces a lot of opportunity. And it sounds like... Bo- Booty was, like, ready immediately to step up with that opportunity. Uh, that, that that I mean, that, that I've heard the same thing story that you did, uh, w- which is that he had his best day, you know, the day after Chase left. So uh, so right now, yeah, it looks like Marshall, McMath, Booty, Moore, right? That The top four?
1: Yeah, I believe so. And then Kirkland's – I think Kirkland is probably, like, maybe a co-four, it sounds like. I think they do – they have kind of been talking about him a good amount. You talked about him on, a sh- on your show last week. I think he's, like, the other name that's, like, the – the clear rotation he he mentions when he's listing the receivers,
0: and then uh, the other thing, Jabril Cox, man, um, just continues to uh, the, the 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 Cox hype train probably has more steam than I don't know even this latest uh, Odell Beckham story. It's it's crazy. He just continues uh, to have people talk super positive about him today. It was Derek Stingley Senior, Derek Stingley Junior's father. He gets to go to practice and he's a football coach himself and. He just kind of sounded almost like not in awe. Um, but but this is someone who who this is someone who if you ask Derek Singley Sr. about Derek Singley Jr., he'll immediately tell you like what he could have done better last year, right? Like he he is a hard man to please and he just sounds so impressed with Jabril Cox, talking about him dropping into coverage. Ooh, I just saw that catch you're talking about is awesome. Talking so about him dropping into coverage, talking about him like uh just the mismatch that he represents. Um, or or excuse me, just, just, uh, like how much skill he brings to that position. So Jabril Cox, man, seems like he is going to be a home run and what a great addition to an LSU defense that had a little bit of a leadership void there. And that needed a, I think, uh, it really helped out having a badass upperclassman linebacker step in
1: yeah i mean he's i'm i'm just so excited to actually get to see him in person and whatnot and actually watch because obviously i wrote that profile of him and what was it april or whatever and the big thing everyone talked about was like i mean you can see it in the film of course but He's not actually like he doesn't run necessarily that fast of a forty yard dash, but he is just like holy crap quick on on a football field and it's so like he look i mean he might be the fastest linebacker in college football right now, so I'm really excited to see like that speed that looks like it is just blurry on a on a North Dakota state tape you know I want to see it. Against other SEC players, is he actually that fast against SEC players? Is he? And, and the other thing was, he you know he's not a Mike, so he's not necessarily like the IQ guy, you know. But it is good to hear that that feedback from you know from from Big Derek Singley Senior and, and other people. That it does seem like he's like taking a a veteran leadership, you know, like X's and O's role because. You know they don't have many of those guys, and Ogeron's talked about him staying after watching film and all those things. But those are just the things I'm interested to follow because there is a difference. It's like the Bo Pelini thing, where like yeah, you know as much as I think Bo Pelini is one of the best offensive minds of the last two decades, I'm sorry when you haven't. It's been a decade since you've coached FBS football, and you're used to a different talent level. There's probably going to be a little bit of an adjustment. The same thing goes for Cox. So anyway. That was a, a, a long, all over the place thing, but I, it is going. I'm just fascinated to watch Jabril Cox.
0: I can't wait. It's, it, the hype, like we said. That's all. We, that's all we have at this point. It's just like a, it's like a stock yeah, market. where it's been we been a have weird no insider yeah. info, and we're just uh, all we can do is judge the hype trains. As you can tell, uh, Baby everybody <laughs> also so true. a big fan of the Jabril
1: Cox hype train. Uh, no, I think that was her yelling that she's bummed that Micah Baskerville isn't getting more talk.
0: Uh, yes, I mean, look, if Baskerville's ready to ball out, I have my Hound of Baskerville nickname ready to roll. I will do an entire Sherlock bit. We just have to get him across that finish line first. Um, anything else, Brody? Any other major takeaways from the scrimmage before we uh, sort of close this thing out?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the last thing I'd say is, you know, Ogeron kind of said Miles Brennan looked good but he still had things to work on and then I followed up at like what those things were and he was like yeah he does look firmly more confident and comfortable in the pocket dealing with pressure and that's the number one thing with him but and for him to even admit this this means it probably was like an actual thing you know what I mean but he admitted yes. like yeah he does, he does need to get better at you know, he's still making some wrong reads on the defense. He still gets, needs to get a lot better at, you know, looking off receivers and not tell showing the defense what he's gonna do, which was one of Burrow's greatest strengths. I think I think the fact that you know he'll admit those I'm not gonna make it the end of the world problem, but you know, that's something else on to watch. Yeah. I mean he's about to play some SEC defenses for ten straight weeks. So I think that uh I think Miles Brennan, the, the overall vibe I'm getting is which is kinda what we all expected, pretty solid, you know? Yeah. I don't think anyone's gonna claim Miles Brennan is looking like some superstar, and I don't think Miles Brennan looks bad. I think Miles Brennan's gonna be pretty solid.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well uh, and again, that's just that's been kind of consistent now throughout the entirety of the process. So and you know what? Really solid. If that translates to sixty percent of last year. Then that's like thirty-five hundred yards, over thirty touchdowns, and uh, really good yeah. numbers. So we'll we'll, we'll see. But uh, scrimmage in the books. They got more scrimmages coming up, so we'll learn a bit more. But uh, LSU football getting closer and closer, starting to move out of the post Jamar Chase sort of area. Uh, you know, it was nice to hear about those receivers stepping up. All right, Brody. Before I move on, real quick on Miles. Uh, you and Larry Holder both have excellent pieces up on the Athletic right now. From him, um, anything in particular that you want to watch? Maybe get people to go uh, go check out the story, or that you want to mention. Well, yeah.
1: First off, <clears throat> yeah. I guess I'll just plug the fact that yeah, I had a story about a week ago on Miles that is very a lot of like really funny, in my opinion, hunting stories of him and like just context on like who he is because I think he is a really fascinating character because he is you know he's a lot of things at once he is like he he, he laughs about because he agrees like he's a spoiled rich kid the son of the Brennan's empire like restaurant empire he, he's a spoiled rich kid who when Katrina hit lived on a yacht for five years in Destin so like you know he's a spoiled rich kid but he's also this like absurdly tough hunting like fishing guru who played and and then to to go with that Larry's story which focused more on the last time he was a starting quarterback which was his high school years and all those stories and and how he kind of got built up he's also like a badass and he really is like he I mean there's this story that was in both of our stories of in a a sophomore year in a playoff game uh, basically he took a hit and the guy's helmet took like and basically there was a like five inch gash like deep across his arm. His throwing yeah. arm. and it was like to the point where you could like see bone and like he would move his hands and like you could see things moving inside of his arms when he did that. And everyone's like, You have to go to the hospital And he basically like turned to his coach, gave him a look and the coach understood and it was like it was like in the fourth quarter and he's like, We're just gonna wrap it up and figure it out <laughs> And he pretty much like goes in two plays later, throws a touchdown pass and leads them to this overtime win with like his arm basically at risk at all times. And, and then like, I, from, I'm trying to remember. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm pretty sure. Like, he threw the game-winning touchdown in overtime, and on that, took a hit, and his arm was like cut open again, and it was like bleeding pretty bad. And basically, like, he didn't even get to celebrate. He just like threw the game-winning touchdown, and then like had to hop in the like a car to the hospital and get like a, a shitload of stitches. But, like, I love that story, and, and there's so many of those. Well, or, like, that story also
0: directly, he- uh, I think, speaks to one of the concerns that I've kind of heard whispered about it that fans seem to have, which is like his toughness and. All this other yeah. stuff, and well, if you're playing with because he's slice... a spoiled blonde rich yes, kid, it exactly. looks like a surfer. Exactly. So if you're you know if you're playing with a bloody, tattered <laughs> up arm, uh, that that speaks <laughs> to your toughness for sure.
1: Or like even when he was like the skinny kid two years ago, I, I had like three different players talk about like man, like Miles in the fourth quarter program is kind of nuts, and they were just like because I mean you know this they had like they have competitions where they're like you know tire like the big tire pull things where you're pulling against another person, and it's like. And, like, it was, like, a known thing back then that, like, you know, Miles is, like, crazy in those, and he would, like, go against DBs and just destroy them even before he put on all the weight because he just, like, gets, like, switch goes off, and he just, like, turns into a crazy competitor, and he's, like, really, you know, better than we think in a lot of those things. So I just feel like I genuinely, like, I feel like it's a tricky thing as, like, a guy who writes a lot of profiles and features where... Usually what you think going into it kind of ends up being true, if we're just being honest. You know, like, it kind of hits a certain narrative. And Miles, I think I was, like, genuinely surprised and genuinely learned a lot. And I I really would love it if people read both mine and and Larry's, because I think Larry's is fantastic. Because I genuinely think your opinion of Miles Brennan will change, because I know mine absolutely did. And it really... I still don't know if my opinion on him from just a literal football perspective is that drastically different, but I think a lot of my number one questions with Miles, which were mental personality trait things, I think were corrected. I'm a little more optimistic. So,
0: uh, what a perfect time to remind people, athletic.com slash hold (laughs) that podcast. Only a dollar a month, people. Athletic.com slash hold that podcast. Do it now. All right, that'll wrap up the LSU portion of the show. Now, a little video games, Brody. You've been playing Crusader Kings 3, huh? What do you think? you little hype? Oh, man.
1: My favorite part of every episode when we get a track when people drop off. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I'm actually like, you know me, like... I play a decent amount of games, but I'm not like you where it's like you know you are a you know World of Warcraft loving you know like you play a lot of those kind of games much more than me. Not yeah. necessarily historically my thing, but you now I've got them a little more over over the quarantine and the pandemic and. While I was pl- like playing something else, to be honest, somebody sent me like this review on IGN, which Crusader Kings Three got a ten out of ten review on IGN, which I've actually never I'm seen. Very shocked because it's
0: kind of like a niche <laughs> game type as well. Like kind of uh, so, it, I, I'm much more intrigued than I was previously as well after hearing
1: that. <laughs> yeah, and I started reading about it, and I actually like, really recommend people reading this IGN review because the first paragraph nails it perfectly. Where it's like basically like. It's Game of Thrones. I mean, you're you're basically playing an absurdly nuanced and intelligent Game of Thrones where, like, the person was like, you know, this, like, I had one where I was a, it was a, king who was in a war with the father of you know i'm basically fighting over ownership of ireland and i'm in a war with this other realm and my but my daughter is actually married to the leader of that realm because we are allied before and then you when you die you become your heir right (laughs) and my other son my eldest son had died so when i died my daughter who's married to my enemy took over my realm so now basically my daughter is now at war with her husband and then it's like some and then classic, like... like
0: when you say game of thrones it's like yes the tv show obviously but more so like the classic european incestuous nobility all marrying one another insane game it's of Allison thrones Tree. yes yeah. yes exactly that 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 like defined <laughs> medieval times for hundreds of years
1: and I really got to keep going on this example to show like how nuanced this game gets cuz then the bishop is upset that like cuz cuz I was like a slight inbreeding with me and like that that husband so the archbishop is upset now that the leadership of our realm is in, is inbred so so then I had to get what? divorced to that king and so then I <clears throat> but now I have no heirs so then I had to like <laughs> I'm at war with my ex-husband and then <clears throat> I had to frantically remarry and you know basically you know have sex to, to to basically get a new era as soon as humanly possible and it's just like it's chaos and like you can like blackmail people and like try to find secrets on people and like meanwhile you are also leading a realm and building buildings and like building up your levies and your army to try to like you know basically i started as like two counties in southern ireland and, and now control all of ireland and like small parts of england and i'm like growing okay, okay. but then it's oh it's insane and then for example like each time like a new ruler takes over like there's genuine like like. It's not like oh well, I'll just keep it going. Like you really don't want to die because I had built up this amazing queen who took over all of like half of Britain, and then I die, and my 14 year old son takes over who had like no skills. Everyone else in Britain basically sees an opportunity to take over a weak guy with no one following him. So now I had like six people declare war on me, and like a lot of my empire got chipped away. And like it was so it's like there's just so much nuance in this game, and I cannot hype it up enough. It's taken uh, over my life. Are
0: are there fail states like? Like, like, can you just completely lose power, or, or do you always have someone oh, yeah. to come, and then you kind of have to work your way back?
1: No, yeah, no, you can, like, completely lose power but and, like, okay, become so just, like, a va-
0: Yeah, so if you completely lose power, do you continue down that storyline and rise back yes. up, or does it start, okay, okay, cool, cool.
1: The story basically ends when you don't have an heir. If you die and you don't have an heir, then it ends. Okay. And I haven't had this happen, but everything I've read, if you die, like, you can, I mean, or if you, like, lose power and just become, like, a leader of a county you know like that like inside someone else's kingdom like some people argue actually in some of the reviews that's more fun because then you like really get do some like little finger shit and like and just like actually try to maneuver things and pull off schemes and try to like control people and so it's almost like yeah i think this game is like kind of never ending like losing is still just as fun as winning and I, I really, I'm fascinated to see if people keep listening. But I can, I, okay, I mean, God. I'm sorry if my writing goes down a notch because I I'm, gotta, I'm hooked.
0: I, I gotta look at oh, that's such a good <laughs> feeling when you love video games so much that you're stressed about all other facets of your life. That's how I was in like the scale. Warcraft, but I think I'm out, unfortunately. So I am looking oh, for something new to play. Um, so <laughs> is this only on PC? Do you know?
1: I, I, I genuinely like don't really know the answer to that. I'm sorry.
0: I feel like <laughs> Crusader Kings, generally, I only remember being on Steam and stuff, but I'll look it up real uh-huh. quick. Uh, anything else on Crusader Kings?
1: <laughs> well, I, I just want to say my last thing is the scale. Because I literally... Because I think something that gets kind of tricky is, like, in other games sometimes you're like, I just want to be, like, big old France or big old Britain and be in, like, big scale wars. And, like, the greatest thing I think I've learned about this is the scale where I have spent a week of my life obsessed with, like these battles in just like a small part of Ireland and the small part of the world and you scroll out <laughs> that's and so like weird, I, dude. And it's like oh my god i am like this tiny speck and i also have like alliances in like Norway and Eastern Germany and like the scale of this game keeps going it isn't just like what you're playing so i, I think i could play this game for the rest of my life Okay, that's all.
0: um so a quick <laughs> google search and i'll i'll keep looking but i'm i think i'm seeing that it may be coming to xbox um Unless what? this would be on Game pa- Pass or something, I mean, it's definitely on PC. I, I could be wrong because Xbox is blurring the lines between. Um... Okay, no, I'm only seeing PC right now, uh, but 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 I could be wrong because Xbox. Like I, I saw Microsoft watermark, but Xbox is very much blurring the lines between console and PC, they just want to get you into their ecosystem, so you'll start paying them for Game Pass, uh, which is kind of the other video game thing I want to mention is we finally have prices on next-gen games. Xbox, the cheaper version, the Xbox S, the not, like, top-of-the-line everything, but still better than Xbox One's, be 300 and then the Series X, which is the, like, you know, the 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 strongest console in the market, however they want to say it, is going to be 500 so I'm intrigued. I, I think those are actually better price points, way better than than I was thinking, and I wonder what... PS5 is going to do to respond. Are you going to uh, go
1: Xbox or PS5?
0: I don't know. I'll probably wait like a year. I don't think either have made a strong enough uh, case to get me this holiday season. If anything, uh, something like Fair. an Oculus Quest VR set is more tempting to me this holiday season. uh Birdie, you'll like this. I've been getting a little bit of a Tarantino thing. I rewatched Django Unchained My for the man. first time since theaters. is really good. And now I'm watching the Hateful Eight extended editions.
1: Uh, I love, because I actually, on Netflix. I think 10 years later, 10 years later, I feel like Django's actually one of his worst movies, and it's still like an obsessively rewatchable movie. So, so it's like not the an thing
0: insult. is, I thought it actually, <laughs> I thought it in, in terms of how it deals with race and a lot of the tensions we're seeing going on nowadays and kind of driving home how those seeds were planted and what we're still dealing with today,
1: I actually think that it aged really nicely. Uh, surprisingly. Oh, yeah, from a race point of view. But lot, for what it's worth, just for context, context guy, a lot of the criticism at the time, was that it didn't actually look into anything going on with like real slavery or real racial. Like it was almost like a ridiculous over the top, like this guy plays the hero and like doesn't actually dive into it that deeply movie. And then the funny thing was, Tarantino was then quoted saying, he's like, listen, like I don't, th- I just don't think people really want to watch like a just like. Grueling, awful look at slavery movie because people won't want to watch that. I want to do something like the people will be more more uplifted. And then the funny thing is literally a year later, 12 years of slave wins best picture. Uh, yeah, so sure. it also is anyway, that's I mean, not a, it is
0: grueling in its own right. It is done with. Oh it, my God. Yes. I'm not trying to criticize spaghetti it. Western fun. Uh, I, I would say like, I would say it's commentary is more, um, it's it's interesting to me because while everything is so kind of spaghetti western over the top, I I, I guess I would say kind of ironically, <laughs> some of the racial commentary oh, yeah, is. is more subtle, is is more like uh, kind of agree. with within the story, right? Um, but whatever, I just knew that you'd like to be here, and then I'm going back down to Tarantino hole. So no, I got I'm happy you're watching Hateful Eight episode two of the Hateful Eight extension tonight, and I like how Netflix <laughs> did that. They, they got. I know. Let me know what you think of.
1: Yeah, and, he, and you know, he re edited it, right? Like, yes. this was like his thing. Yeah. And I, I mean, we'll probably talk about this off air, but I can't wait to hear what you think. Because I actually think Hateful Eight, even though it's like most people bottom of their list, I actually think that movie is like. A, it's not a Tarantino. It's different from a Tarantino movie in so many ways. So it's not going to be as beloved. But that is a like perfect Hitchcockian, like eight people in a room, constant tension western, and I love that movie. So I much. mean, dude, uh,
0: Tarantino's dialogue is always the star, <laughs> and in that movie especially, it is just like, yeah. Ooh, also another. What I love about Tarantino movies is, especially here later in the game, they very much transport you to a time and place, right? And and so thinking about being alive in a post Civil War era, right, where you literally have half of a country that feels like a country that like lost a war, right, and and like and and you're dealing with people and some people are like legends from the war and the tensions from being on different sides, like all of that kind of stuff is things that you read about, you know. Uh, but I've never really been a big Civil War guy myself, anyway. And, and then so just seeing, I don't know, I just I love it, I love it so much. Uh, but that's it, that's the. Hold that podcast. That, that's it. Podcast. That's it. We're going to need it right there. Uh, it's a hold that podcast podcast. Thank you so much. If you enjoy it, like it, share it with your friends. Um, that helps us out a ton. Buy your meats at A-Bear Specialty Meats off of Bocage over here in Baton Rouge. And remember, athletic.com slash hold that podcast. Uh, $1 a month, my friends. $1 a month. So get on that deal. And like I said rate and review on the iTunes store if you like the podcast it helps us a ton. Brody Miller, thank you so much. Anything to say on the way out? No, you nailed it. That's All it. right. We will see you next Tuesday for another Hold That Podcast podcast.